Before you listen to this great new episode of Albums Are Dead, a few quick plugs. Go subscribe to us on iTunes, search for Albums Are Dead there, and we will pop up for you. Or head over to Mixcloud and do a search for Albums Are Dead. Our back catalog is there for you to listen to anytime on demand. Eventually, we're going to be on Spotify and Google. Do a search for us anyways, because we're going to pop up at one of those places eventually. We do have a website. It's albumsaredead.com. We are on all of the social medias. On Twitter, we are at Albums Are Dead. We are on Facebook. Give our page a like. It's Albums Are Dead. What do you know? We're also on Instagram. Again, Albums Are Dead, and you will find us. And support the artists. Go listen to their music. Go download it legally or stream it legally, please. The artists and their record labels, they're all big and super rich, but they still need your support, and we should do it the right way. We, of course, make no money from doing this show. It's all about the love of music. Let's go love some music together. Here's the next episode of Albums Are Dead. The album and the film is about people united through dance and music, dealing with a lot of the social problems we have. I feel that there's one thing that we all have in common, and that's music. I know a song can't change the world, but if our music could inspire some of the people and make them want to join hands and, and begin to deal with a lot of the social problems we have, then, then hopefully we could make some sort of progress. And that's pretty much what it's all about. I've always been concerned with the children and the homeless and, and um, illiteracy, racism, and things like that. And I think it's, it's just time that we need to really do something about it. And that's pretty much really what, what triggered this entire idea. Albums are dead. Hey, 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 what's going on, folks? How's it going, everybody? Uh, you heard that intro. It's going to get a little deep on this episode by the sounds of it. Um, we're going to talk about poverty and homelessness and sadness and things of that nature. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, this album, uh, Janet Jackson was right. I was inspired to talk about this album for about an hour tonight. <laughs> as we are going to do, and as we do every week on this show we are your pals. My name is Alan, and on the Twitter.com, you can find me at Slip with five eyes or Slip. Find me at, at MegaMix.com, all one word. And uh, you know what? I gotta say, uh, who would have thought this would be like the, the hardest hitting intro song that we've done in six episodes? Uh, it, it really is. So, like, that's like that's the most metal of, of anything we've done. <laughs> the Janet Jackson song, it really is, isn't it? Awesome. Even more than than Def Leppard back way back now in episode one. How, That's right. How episode six this week? How <laughs> yes? Can you believe it? <laughs> how did we That's get here? Gimmick infringement, brother. Uh, it sure is. Uh, so this week, uh, yes, it is uh, you, Mister Megamix, who have chosen this Janet yeah. Jackson release. Should we get right into it? I think so. I wanted to just send a shout out. Uh, I was listening back to uh, last week's episode uh, and I want to send a shout out to uh, Disco Stu 81 on Twitter Stu, our friend, our pal for joining us last week 
to talk uh, What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis. That was a tremendous episode. And uh, I want to implore anyone who wants to join us on this podcast to talk turkey about music. Hit us up on Twitter. and Our DMs are always open. Or you can email us at albumsaredead at shaw.ca and uh, let us know what you want to talk about and uh, join us because it'd be it's, it's always good times. Uh, it's always a hoot nanny on the old show. Okay, so yes, you uh, always chose... all, all all five times previous to this. Uh, you chose so, this... so many episodes. You chose this album. I think yes. there's a couple of uh, I'm trying to remember all the albums that came before this, but this is essentially our first kind of like dance album. Yes, uh, I believe. Um, and it's well, also we had we had the Thriller. I mean. Yeah, I guess. You know, little, <laughs> little disco-tinged pop album. This one's more of a New Jack Swing dance-oriented pop. Uh, and also, I think, uh, very important, our first uh, our first female artist. Yes, yes. And uh, I, what better time and what better artists to start with when it comes to, to women artists than Jenna Jackson? I mean, one of the all-time greats. Um, Rhythm Nation 1814 is what we're talking about, folks. Uh, if you didn't know by the title of this episode or by the picture that you see uh, on this episode of the album cover or the fact that we played the song Rhythm Nation at the top of this uh, at the top of this show, yes, we are talking about Rhythm Nation 1814. Uh, do you want to you want to kick right into this? Yes. Uh, why did you Why did you choose this one to cover? Um. Honestly, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. Uh, and I thought like in its, in its entirety, just, uh, front to back. And, uh, I actually didn't, usually I'll kind of take a quick look and see if there's, you know, enough interesting stuff to talk about. I actually didn't do that this time. I just kind of took it on faith that there'd be a lot to talk about. And there is. So that was kind of why I chose it. And, uh, I I think, I think it's going to make for a good episode. Um, Rhythm Nation 1814 is a album by Janet Jackson, uh, released. Well, yes. First, well, big no, fact. Doing on... the tale of the tape. This Go. is this is the tale of the tape. Go, folks. <laughs> uh, released uh, September nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine, on AM Records. Uh, produced primarily by Jackson herself, along with uh, the Times, James Jimmy Jam Harris III, and Terry Lewis. So you've got the you got the you got the chops on the production end for sure. Uh huh. Um, this was uh, Janet Jackson's fourth studio album, if you can believe that. Uh, um, I, you know, most people know about Control, but there are actually two albums before that. Um, we'll get to that. Uh, this album specifically, uh, Rhythm Nation 1814, hit number one on the Billboard 200 album chart, 200 albums chart on October 28th, 1989, unseating Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood. What a, what a switch. So, so, so toppling yes. uh, the crew to take the number one slot on the 200 albums chart for Billboard. It uh, remained at number one for four weeks. Uh, in, in 1989, before being toppled by, uh, this, this, I mean, an absolute all-time classic. Millie Vanilli's Girl, You Know It's True. Beautiful. So, <laughs> bookended by some serious trash um, is uh, Rhythm Nation. Uh, it remained, uh, it was the best performing and best-selling album of 1990, despite not reaching number one at any point during that year. So, it hit number one in 89, didn't hit number one at all in 1990, but still was the biggest-selling album of the subsequent year. Um, uh, this album has been certified platinum 16 times over in the U.S. and has about an estimated 14 million sales worldwide. So it's a it's a big deal. Um, it's the only album in the in the history of the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 singles charts to have seven commercial singles peak within the top five positions. Beautiful. So it is a monster, as we will attest to as we go through this. 
Um, it's also the only album to produce number one hits on the chart in three separate calendar years. Ah. So in 1989, 90, and 91 produced number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, Jackson received nine Grammy Award nominations, uh, becoming the first woman to be nominated for Producer of the Year and winning Best Long Form Music Video for Rhythm Nation. And I got to say, you know, just a fumble by the Grammys because <laughs> uh, this album was huge and a a bit of an artistic masterstroke for the pop genre. And really, they, you know, they were handing out uh, shit to Phil Collins. No offense to Phil Collins, but I mean, <laughs> come, come on. on. Um, this album, uh, considered a landmark of the New Jack, New Jack swing genre, at least the pop side of it. And, um, I guess my last kind of tale of tape tidbit is that Janet was 23 years old when this album was released. I know. God. And, uh, so this is a pretty big deal. I mean, so you, me, you tell me that a member of the Jackson family has started off young as a singer <laughs> and I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> You know, Joe. Um, <laughs> personally, for me, I mean, I, I had this album uh, when it came out, or within a year that it came out. I mean, I obviously wasn't on the cutting edge um, completely, but I did have this album, at least I know for sure by the summer of 1990 that I had this. Um, I bought the album on cassette with my own buckage. So I've, I've, put, I've put money into Janet's pocket twice with this album. Um, Obviously, I mean, personally, I mean, Escapade is one of my all favorite, all time favorite songs. Five star jam on my, on my side of things, and and uh, and uh, as we'll as we'll see uh, as we go through the tracks later. Um, and a little fun fact from from me, um, I envisioned the song Black Cat being used as an entrance theme for a wrestling character that I came up with named the Panther. So. <laughs> Would you uh, would you do that? little entrances like by yourself and like hum it to yourself as you as you? I would play it? it. I would play the tape on my on my stereo, and I would borrow my sister's million dollar man uh, wrestling buddy, and I would wrestle it. Well then, <laughs> as the Panther, uh-huh. and the Panther, just so everybody knows, at one point beat Mister Perfect for the Intercontinental Title. So wow, there you go. Uh, uh, what was you, your, what, what's what's your uh, What's your personal connection there? Uh, not nearly as deep as you, buddy. Oh, uh, I did not strut dive. around. I did not strut around like a geek uh, oh, no. to, to this music as a wrestler. Uh, <laughs> plenty of plenty of other music, but not uh, not yes. Janet Jackson. No, uh, I obviously very aware of Janet Jackson and her music. I did not own a physical copy of this or any other Janet Jackson album until. About 1997, uh, she would have released, I think around then, it was her uh, Design of a Decade Greatest Hits yes. album. I would have picked that up, and then my first runaround with uh, vinyl back in the late 90s, I would have picked up a vinyl copy of this. It nice. left my collection. I do not believe I have replaced it at this point, and uh, I do, I believe, I have to look through my vinyl now, but I've certainly got a lot of these songs on uh, 45. I nice. would say, I, I, I mean, I like Janet Jackson. I was never a massive fan. Uh, no. I certainly appreciate the music a great deal and think that she's amazing. And she was in Toronto on a tour with, I think that was with Lionel Richie. Nice. Not too long ago. Uh, I, the little too steep a price or timing or something didn't work, but certainly a show that I still think I would have to see live at some point. 
Well, and if it ever be, went for 20 bucks, I mean, that's right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> when they do the big sale next year on uh, Ticketmaster, maybe we'll see what happens. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah, so th- that's some some uh, some per- some semi-personal connections. I mean, for me, I didn't really, I mean, I, after a while, I stopped listening to, to I, when I, once I got to hip hop and then on into alternative rock, I wasn't uh, as interested in the pop music genre, though, I got to say. Summer of '98, uh, I believe, when I uh, when I in- very much enjoyed "Go Deep" off of the Velvet Rope uh, after a trip to Kenora. So that rekindled the interest in uh, in 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 John Jackson's music, and uh, definitely, you know, one of the all-time greats in terms of uh, you know popular music. And uh, you know, I, I think. Uh, Respect given from the albums are dead crew. Did it? Did so your did your fandom uh, be rekindled one more time in the early two thousands with the song about the dude's package or uh, what? Of course, uh-huh. of course it did. Yes, <laughs> all for you. Yeah, <laughs> the best, the best. <laughs> so yeah, but we're you know we're not here to talk about um, all for you or go deep. We're here to talk about Rhythm Nation eighteen fourteen, and let's give you some of the background here. Um, of course, Janet Jackson, the youngest child in the famed Jackson family. Uh, Janet began her career on the variety TV series The Jacksons in 1976 and then appeared on other shows such as Good Times and Fame. Uh, she signed with AM Records in 1982, and that same year she released her self titled debut album. She was 16 years old. Um, the Baltimore Afro American noted that the album had been had been released, commenting that Jackson did not have any members of the Jackson family helping out and that she was relying solely on her own talent which um, would be a bit of a theme for her throughout her career. Um, the album, the, her debut album, not critically well-received, but actually to date has sold 400,000 copies. So not bad for a debut album uh, with, with little fanfare. Um, her second album, Dream Street, was released in 1984 and was a massive, well, it was a flop. I wouldn't call it a massive flop. Um, her third studio album, Control, was the breakthrough hit. It reached number one on the Billboard 200 Albums charts in the U.S. and spawned five top five singles. So uh, by this point, in uh, I believe that was 1986. I mean, you know, with Control, Janet became Daril. Yes. Um, according to the Wiki, <laughs> at the 29th Annual Grammy Awards, Control received four nominations: Album of the Year, Best R&B Song uh, for "What Have You Done for Me Lately," uh, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, and Non-Classical Producer of the Year for Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Jam and Lewis won Producer of the Year. The album uh, did not was shut out in uh, in all the other categories. Um, it did earn a record breaking twelve nominations from the American Music Awards, winning four. So Jackson also won three Soul Train Music Awards and six Billboard Music Awards. So, you know, she's hit the big time with Control, and uh, that brings us to Rhythm Nation eighteen fourteen. Um, so this album, uh, recorded over a period of seven months, uh, the production took place at Flight Time Studios in. Minneapolis, Minnesota, baby. Beauty. With the majority of the album being recorded in the winter of 1989, according to Jimmy Jam, uh, he, Lewis, and Jackson chose to isolate themselves to compose the record. No one from A&M Records was invited to the studio to observe, and label executives complied with their requests. So, you know, there's a little bit of stroke, for, for not only from Janet, but also from her, uh, her star producers. Um, the songs for Rhythm Nation 1814 were mostly recorded using... Oh, here we go. Let's get technical. Um, the <laughs> Emu SP-1200, a drum machine and sequencer that is strongly associated with many of hip-hop's golden age albums. Um, it produced a gritty sound. 
this is all according to the Wickeye. Uh-huh. Um, due to the machine's 26.04 kilohertz sampling rate, which was roughly half the fidelity of a compact disc. And you know what? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> hey, yes, you do. We're experts on this show. <laughs> uh, and uh, and a bunch of other stuff. 12-bit sampling resolution, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, my God. Really? You know, 12-bit? Yeah, Crazy. There you go. Crazy. Well, you know, it's a deep, it's, we're, we're doing a full breakdown here. I mean, that's way ahead of its time because I believe the Nintendo at the time was only 8-bit. So... <laughs> there you go. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. This sequencer, of course, would be used for like 30 years following its release. It was it was highly popular. Um, according to the Wickeye, the sequencing of the record's track list was done strategically, starting with songs that lyrically depict societal, societal injustices and ending with those that explore love, relationships, and your favorite, sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you sitting in your car in a parking lot so excited. <laughs> Um, the album's artwork is dark and evokes militant imagery. Jimmy Jam says this. He says, the idea of putting Rhythm Nation, State of the World, and the Knowledge as the first three songs on the record really set the tone as to what the record was. Then to have to segue after that where she says, get the point, good, let's dance, and then go into Miss You Much, that was purposefully done. And, uh, you know, as we'll, as we'll talk about as we go track by track, there's an absolute shift in tone. Um, a 30-minute long-form music video, Rhythm Nation 1814, was produced to promote the album referred to as a telemusical. The storyline incorporates three separate music videos for Miss You Much, The Knowledge, and Rhythm Nation. Um, <clears throat> according to the Minnesota Public Radio, Janet's brother Michael was so impressed with the album's hard-edged sound that he told his producers that was the sound he wanted for his next album, 1991's Dangerous. And you know what? I have a little clip here. I didn't want to, I didn't want to invoke MJ, really, but this clip is pretty good. Uh, here's, here's him talking about how he loves to dance to his sister's music. And I like to dance very much, so sometimes I'll close myself in a room and I'll just put on spotlights and uh, put on my sister's music, uh, Janet's music, and I'll uh, dance uh, and discover new things. Where I can, I, I, uh, where I can go with my body. I always tell her my favorite song of hers is uh, Rhythm Nation and The Knowledge, because I love the, the bass lick. It really just makes me crazy. It makes me wild. But does he does <laughs> he it. does he grab his crotch while he's dancing to his sister's music? Is what I'm wondering. No, but he's doing a lot of he's doing a lot of textbook moves in the video that from YouTube that's available on YouTube. I don't know what it's actually from. It's just a it's a it's a clip without a source. But it's uh, he's he's doing all sorts of moves, standing in a in a spotlight in a, in a room with with kind of with the with the mirrors like in a in a in a, in a studio. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, it has, uh, it has the. Uh, I, I love the, that he he just loves the bass flicks, which is great. <laughs> it all drives him crazy and drives him wild. And you know what? I mean, for me, when I when I hear that, I'm like, you know, for all for all the things about Michael Jackson, the dude doesn't seem like a dude who postures and lies like about that kind of stuff. No. So it just seems like it's coming from a real. A genuine place that y'all just loves listening to Rhythm Nation and I, the knowledge. I can picture Michael Jackson in his little like bedroom, putting on spotlights and dancing to his sister's records by himself. I could just see it. Oh, absolutely! And it's not like, and it's not like you ever heard Michael talking about how great Jermaine's albums were or anything. It was probably really, you know, like a, a, just a genuine uh, reaction to some great music. And uh, I thought that was a good clip. So you know, uh, Rhythm Nation. Um, that's kind of the breakdown on the making of. And uh, I thought maybe we could just uh, there's there's a lot of tracks to get to here, and we'll explain. We won't be playing all of them, of course. We'll we'll explain why. Yep. Um, but you want to do track by track? Yep, I'm ready. 
So uh, Rhythm Nation is 20 tracks long, but uh, a bulk of the tracks are interludes, little um, little snippets of, uh, you know, sound clips and whatever that kind of drive the narrative. So no, we're not going to touch on the We're not going to play those okay. unless, unless you really want. To. No, no. But um, yeah, so it starts out with an interlude, which I always enjoyed because it, it was an, an interlude at the start, um, which was called Pledge. And it's about 47 seconds. And then we kick right into the title track. I should mention some of my tracks here are from the Greatest Hits album, so the, I don't know if they're remixed. Just oh, so you that's know. All right. Well, this is definitely not the album version. Yeah, it's a different version. It's like the video version of something. Yeah. So we got Rhythm Nation, the uh, second single released on October 24th, 1989. This song peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 on January 6th, 1990. It stayed there for two weeks behind Phil Collins's Another Day in Paradise. Yuck. And honestly, I got to say, what a ripoff. Because this song is clearly so much better than, than the Phil song. Well, she's not talking down to her audience, as you once said. About Phil. <laughs> exactly. Um, this song, of course, uh, notably sampling Sly and the Family Stones. Thank you for letting me be myself again. Uh, what a classic sample. What a driving groove. It's fantastic. According to the Wickeye, uh, Jackson desired the song's theme to capture the attention of her teenage audience, who were potentially unaware of socially conscious themes. She commented, I wanted to take our message directly to the kids. And the way to do that is by making music you can really dance to. That was our whole goal. How can I get through the kids with this? I just, you know what? Like, from the intro and then from that quote, like, again, I think these Jacksons are yes. are, are quite genuine. Yes. But one of, what a funny way of thinking about that. Like, Agreed. we're going to bring people together through the power of music and dance and change the world. I mean, that's, it's, that's it's nice. Though, it's, right? it's nice. It's really nice. But... You know, I, I, I've been around for a while, and it's like, mm, is that how it works? Well, we're talking about this in 2018. Yeah. yeah. And knowing the kind of political climate, uh, especially in the, some of the stuff that Janet Jackson is talking about, not much has changed in 20 years. No. 29 years or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I got to say, it's it's uh, it's the artist's way, right? I mean, there's, there's when you, we talk about the, how it's genuine, absolutely it also is a little, you know, flighty kind of, right? But, yeah. I mean, that's the power of art, I guess. Stephen Holden of the New York Times called Rhythm Nation a militantly utopian dance floor exhortation. Well, then. So, uh, I'm going to sprinkle through... Oh, go, go on. I was just going to say, did you know Did you know that uh, Herb Alpert played trumpet, horn, and brass on this uh, album? I, You know what? I didn't uh, delve that deep into the credits. Thumbs up. All right, keep that's going. That's awesome. Um... Uh, yeah, and also I think Jellybean Johnson of the time also played on this album. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll get. I think we'll get there as well. Um, throughout this uh, break breakdown of track by track, I have uh, in 2014, I believe, uh, uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did like a 
an interview with uh, Billboard.com where they broke down every track. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add in a little a little flavor here from for each track here that what they said. So Jimmy Jam about um, Rhythm Nation said it needed to be an, to be anthemic. That was the whole point. It was the anchor of the album, the title track. I think we achieved it. It has a great energy. The thing to remember, as I always say with all of Janet's stuff, is that she's such a visual artist. It's really hard to listen to the song and not think of all the inner imagery and the choreography that go along with it. That's the bonus we get with a record like that. We get to see the performance that goes along with it. And of course, that segues into uh, this had an iconic music video. And you know, if you're uh, if you're a fan of, uh, of Albums Are Dead or the Mezzanine Sleepover, our sister show, you'll know that we love music videos. Love them. <laughs> love them and always uh, this, when we promise things surrounding music videos we deliver all the time every time uh, <laughs> the iconic music video focuses on rapid choreography with a fast with a post-apocalyptic warehouse setting with Jackson and her dancers outfitted in unisex black military style uniforms it was filmed in black and white to portray the song's theme of racial harmony so um, that is Rhythm Nation All right, track 2 the open the title track um, we have another interlude called TV, and then we go into uh, track four, which is State of the World. It's heard. You can hear that siren. Oh, yeah. This has got the New Jack Swing kind of groove to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was the eighth and final single. Uh, it was released on February 8th, 1991. This song was not released commercially in the United States, making it ineligible to chart, but it did reach number five on Billboard's Hot 100 Airplay chart. So they, I think what the what they wanted to do was um, the, the label decided to release it just for radio play to give a little boost uh, without having to release it as a single and produce like produce the single. So it did fairly well, number five. Uh, and this would be almost uh, almost two years after the release of the album. So um, Terry Lewis had this to say about State of the World. At the time, we were trying to make some statements about worldly things. The song was created from conversation. We used to talk about everything before we even engaged in starting a song. We uh, we went on talking tirades, just conventional conversational tirades, trying to figure out not only what was going on in the world, but was what was going on in Janet's head. I don't think it's overtly political. It's just drawing attention to the things of the time. So a uh, little, little political song and uh, no music video was made to accompany this song, which I know makes you sad. Yeah, of course. There you go. Honestly, solid track. All right. This is a solid track. Good stuff. Um, we get another interlude. This one, uh, a five-second one. Uh, and then we go right into uh, track six, The Knowledge. One, two, three. So, so far, they've... They've just recycled the same drum beat. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> yep. Why not, right? The song has a little bit of the, uh, the hip-hop edge. Um, not released a single, the knowledge was, but uh, according to whosampled.com, this track was sampled in uh, Scream by Janet and Michael Jackson. Awesome. So uh, it got sampled in that. Terry Lewis said about the song, we got the song title in London. We were speaking to a cab driver. And over there, every cab driver knows how to get everywhere because they take a test. It's like a map quiz. They know every street, every address in London. It's called The Knowledge. We heard that title. We wrote it down. 
and then you know then they discuss social commentary sure all right and then the knowledge popped up and they decided to use it as a title and fuse it all together so there you go the knowledge uh, the, the the um the song that michael jackson loves to dance to there it is here we go Nice. Damn right. All right. So, so Michael Jackson, when we played that clip, was like, oh, I love dancing to my sister's music. I love Rhythm Nation, and I love the knowledge, uh, which is interesting because on the album, the, the, the first three tracks are really kind of the, the commentary tracks, as they said, you know, the, the social commentary tracks. And then there's an interlude called Let's Dance, where she asks, if, did you get it? Good, let's dance. And then you kick into the more popular-oriented dance tracks. So... Um, there's something funny about that one, but uh, we go right to uh, track eight, and he's a monster. Before that, though, here. Get the point? Good. Let's dance. Yes. <laughs> Switching things up with the drums. It's great. Yes. So the singing's off for a bit, so I'll cut it now. Uh, Miss You Much, the first single off the album, released on August 22nd, 1989, uh, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on October 7th, 1989, unseating Millie Vanelli's Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You. Woo! Um, it remained at number one for four big weeks and was the longest-running number one single of 1989. It was knocked out of the top spot on November 4th, 1989 by one of your faves, Rock sets, listen to your heart. Hey, that was correct. <laughs> uh, Miss You Much was... Uh, here's a little fact to it. Miss You Much. One of the songs included as part of Weird Al's Poker Your Eyes Out Medley on his 1992 album, Off the Deep End. So, <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, according, oh, he, couldn't, he, couldn't write, he couldn't write a whole song about food. Like, he couldn't have written a song called Miss You Lunch. <laughs> I know. To it. <laughs> Just saying. I, you know what? I, total aside... I was reading about how uh, Weird Al asked Nirvana for permission to cover Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> and Kurt Cobain was like, of course, as long as this song isn't about food. <laughs> All right. Anyways. That's awesome. Uh, one of your favorite sources, according to Song Facts. Yes. This song was featured in the 1990 movie Ghost Dad. <laughs> uh, oh. Jimmy Jam. Wait, wasn't... Wasn't... Um, wasn't... Uh, Bill Cosby ghost dad? Oh my god, yes! <laughs> oh my god. What? Oh, horrible. Alright, keep going. Disgusting. Uh, according to Jimmy Jam, uh, Jimmy Jam, I miss you much. Uh, that was the first song Janet heard when she walked in the studio. I remember that when she walked in the studio, I pointed at a note on the keyboard and told her to press it. She pressed it, and a note ended up being the high string line in the chorus of the song. It's the record that got us off and running on the project. And he says that he loves her attitude on records, and she, that she sings that song with so much attitude. Um, the music video for this, just for you, uh, was filmed in August 1989 as part of the long-form Rhythm Nation film and features the famous Dancing with Chairs routine. Excellent. So, that is Miss You Much. We uh, we hit with another interlude. Um, and then uh, track 10, Love Will Never Do Without You.
Is okay. love will never do, open parenthesis, without you, close parenthesis. Thank you. Sorry, I wanted to just clear that one up. Uh, this is the seventh single, uh, released on October 2nd, 1990. The album had been out for uh, over a year at this point. Uh, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on January 19th, 1991, usurping Madonna's Justify My Love. It spent just one week at, the, at number one and was toppled by the first time by some act called The Surface. So I have no idea. Cool. Um, Jimmy Jam says about uh, this song, at one point we thought about doing it as a duet with Prince. It never happened, obviously. That's well, <laughs> the reason Sting's the first verse low that's also the second verse high. That's also why uh, the without you part is Y-O-U-U. <laughs> yes! 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 <laughs> that's um, so yeah, she sing. That's the reason she sings the first verse low and the second verse high. It became a duet with herself. It was a thought. I didn't know how serious of a thought. This happens a lot. You're doing a song and you go, you knew it'd sound good on this. Prince would be kind of cool. It wasn't a big thing. We like we wrote it for him or anything, but we thought, oh, it's cool the way it is. So we just left it like that. Uh, the music video won best female video at the 1991 MTV Video Music Awards. So that is love will never do without you. you Beautiful. Nice. Um, we don't get an interlude in between this and the next track. So uh, track 11. Let's hear it. Oh, this isn't the track. We Am I missing one? in a world that they didn't make. I, I may be missing one. Uh-oh. Well, we, can, we don't need to we you can know what? talk about it. You know what? Talk about it. Talk about it for a second. I'll do some work All there. right. Living in a world, they uh, open parenthesis, they didn't make close parenthesis. We got two in a row here. Um, not released as a single. I felt uh, personally solid ballad with a, with a swanky chorus. Terry Lewis had this to say, uh, we were just thinking about the turmoil that kids go through to become young, young adults and then adults. We throw so much mess into the situation for kids as a society because we act without listening. That makes kids very uneasy about things and rebellious. They didn't ask to be here, which is something we say all the time. They didn't ask to acquire the circumstances you put them in. We say they're our future, but they're our present. And being a kid is our past. Um, we have to be a little more mindful of those things, how we incorporate kids in our, into our society. So our responsibility is to teach them responsibility. So a little, little, a little heavy message there from uh, from Janet and 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 the guys from time from the time. Yep. And here it is. Good find. Do, 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 do. Oh, <laughs> ah, it's a bit of it's a, it's a battle. Got the piano. I'm already feeling like I want to change who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be better to your kids. Yes. yes. Just the kids in general. Yes. All right. Anyway, so that's 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 the track. Um, Go check it out if you want, or, you know, purchase it or stream it uh, legally. Um, again, no interlude. We got three in a row here. Um, the 12th track is All Right. <laughs> I love the drum machine. Yeah, it's so good. Looking great. Well, it's that Emu SP-1200. I, I mean, I, I did, you know, I told you about it. I love how they uh, mix up where they put that... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a bit off-putting, eh? Yeah. So, all right, it's the fourth single off this album, released on March 4th, 1990. 
uh, reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100 on June 2nd, 1990. Um, according to whosampled.com, all right, samples Lynn Collins's 1972 song, Think About It, and the song's final hook samples the BT Express's 1974 song, Do You Like It? So some two solid-ass samples for All Right. Um, Terry Lewis loves All Right. I love the swing aspect of it. I love the incorporation of, of and collaboration with Heavy D on the remix. I love the happiness of the song. It's a song that comes on and makes you immediately smile. I love the video for that song. It was one big shot. I think it may have been one or two cuts in the whole video. It was a masterpiece. Um, and he goes on, and I'm not going to read it all because it's a long one, and I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the extended version of the song's music video won a Soul Train Music Award for Best R&B Soul or Rap Music Video in 1991. Man, she was collecting statuettes for like three years off this album. Remember when we did Thriller and Michael got shunned for Grammys for Off the Wall? And he yeah. was so mad, and then he cleaned up with Thriller? Yeah. I wonder if after that, when she just mopped the floor with so many statues here... I would imagine he was happy for her, but I wonder if yeah. he was like, I want more statues. Well, you know, I wonder about that too, because I, I think about this, I would say, so so Bad came out in 87, and this came out in 89, and this is such a better album than Bad. Yeah. It's just miles above it. Like, by Bad, I mean, you know, uh, Michael just, I mean, the sound was, you know, I dare to say a little dated. And uh, Janet all comes out swinging all two years later with this, and there's got to be something there, right? gotta be anyway that's all right uh, and now we go to uh, there's an interlude called hey baby uh, and then we kick right into track 14 escapade here we go So, uh, Escapade, third single off Rhythm Nation 1814, released on January 8th, 1990. Uh, this track reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on March 3rd, 1990, knocking Paula Abdul's opposites attract out of the top spot. Oh, poor MC Scat Cat. <laughs> he must have been so sad. Um, it spent three weeks at number one before bowing out to uh, Alana Miles' Black Belt. That's trash. <laughs> um... This song, uh, a little tidbit, extra tidbit of information for you, uh, featured in the uh, in the first ever Mezzanine Sleepover Tournament, Gorilla. Gorilla. Uh, according to Song Facts, Jackson was going to do a remake of Martha Reeves and the Vandellas' 1965 hit, Nowhere to Run, but Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis suggested they do an original song with a similar beat, which meant they would keep more of the songwriting royalties. Well, it's all about, the, we know on this show so far, it's all about the royalties. Oh, yes. And the ratios. <laughs> Here we Jan go. and Lewis pulled the word escapade from a notebook they kept of song title ideas and came up with the track while Jackson wrote the lyrics. Also, according to Son Facts, uh, former New Edition Johnny Gill, former New Edition member Johnny Gill contributed the finger snaps on this track. Here we go. I love it. It's like, we need to bring you in to do finger snaps. Someone famous. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite part of this song is the shout out to Minneapolis. 
because I'm in Minneapolis, Mark. That's a that's a great jam, an absolute classic. Uh, again, just adding to the all all of Janice number ones. I, it's funny. I was I, what I didn't the correlation I didn't get was this hits number one on March third, nineteen ninety. So the next day, her fourth single comes out. Oh yeah, nice, amazing. Uh, and that would be all right. Okay, so we get another inter, uh, interlude called No Acid. I want to hear it. And then I we go into. It. I want to hear No Acid. Yeah. Ain't no acid in this house. <laughs> all right. Yes, ain't no acid in this house. And then we get into track 16. Here we go. Here comes the Panther. <laughs> so this, of course, what you're hearing is the single version, the video version, uh, Black Cat. Um, the, uh, the actual album track is a little less saucy. Um, and but it has the uh, sound of a roaring panther at the beginning of the track. So thumbs up for that. This is the sixth single, sixth single of this album, released on August 28, 1990. It reached number one Jesus. on the Billboard Hot 100 on October 27, 1990, overtaking James Ingram's "I Don't Have the Heart." It spent a mere week at number one before being bested by. Now I want you. To, can you guess what what knocked this out of number one in 1990? Yeah. Uh, Millie Vanilli? Nope. Ice Ice Baby. Yes. <laughs> uh, this was the only song on Rhythm Nation, uh, on, on the Rhythm Nation album, written entirely by Janet Jackson. So this is a, a 100% Janet creation. It's got that, uh, you know, that uh, that Jackson proclivity to, to put in a hard rockin' track on their albums. Get the big guitars going. Ridiculously uh, good. The song facts, although she didn't win the Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance with this song, she lost it fucking Alana Miles. Um, she became the first artist to earn nominations across pop, dance, rock, rap, and R&B categories when Black Cat was nominated. So, Jesus. Um, Jimmy Jam had this to say. Janet was a tough producer. Man, she had me redoing parts a million times. It was her way of getting back at us. She went into the booth at the end to do the Black Cat part, and she had us there for hours. We're going, Janet, we don't sing. And she's saying, no, do that again. It was a great idea, great guitar riff. Jelly Bean Johnson, drummer for the time, who's also a great guitar player, ended up working with her on that and did a great job. If I recall correctly, the solo on that song was actually done by three people. Janet did a fantastic job. It was fun to play on. Janet would ask me, what do you think? And I'd say, nope, you're the producer. So um, there you go. This music video, sorry. Um, was filmed during the Rhythm Nation World Tour 1990 and featured actual concert footage intercut with images of guests. A panther. <laughs> Tremendous stuff. Was the panther Michael Jackson when he transformed? <laughs> I don't know. Could have been. Uh, I got I got a little tidbit about a panther a little later on. Okay. We'll get to that. Stay tuned, folks. Don't stop listening to this early because we're going to talk about the World Tour and we're going to talk about a panther and it's going to be hilarious. Um... Our next track, uh, here's where we start to slow things down. I mean, the, this album winds down real quick uh, over the final uh, three uh, proper tracks. So here's uh, track 17. Is that a campfire? I think it's rain, dude. Oh, it's rain. 
Ooh. You got lonely. <laughs> Roasted marshmallows, the campfire. <laughs> All right. Well, when you're in, when you're, when you're up camping, you're thinking of listening to a Janet Jackson ballad. Yeah, but is she cold lamping? <laughs> is she in the juice? <laughs> or the anti-juice? <laughs> ah, inside references on albums are dead. <laughs> Uh, this song not released as a single. Terry Lewis had this to say. It seemed like one of those songs that would be real comforting. Everyone has moments of loneliness, no matter how many people are around you or how many people think you're wonderful. And he goes on about loneliness. I'm not going to read the whole quote. I would think that Michael Jackson would have liked this track. Absolutely. It's got a very Michael-esque ballad feel to it. Again, I don't want to make a lot of comparisons because I think it's unfair. But I mean, you know, because um, this album stands on its own. And actually, as an artist, Janet stands on her own, in her own right. But, uh, you know, can't help it but put a little, a little, uh, inject a little bit of uh, Michael into some of the discussions. Not a problem. All right. Um, our next track, Come Back to Me. You want to give it a little play there? Some double track vocals there. This is uh, Come Back to Me, as I said. It's the fifth single uh, released on June 18th, 1990. It reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 on August 18th, 1990, but could not unseat Mariah Carey's vision of love. You know what? That is correct. That is the right way to go about things. That was the right call. Vision of Love is a tremendous song. This one is okay. It's fine. Um, Jimmy Jam says it's one of his favorite songs. He loves the lyrics and the vocal on it. The interesting thing for him was the live strings. He'd never heard the strings when they were doing it. They kept it simple, and Janet said, it'd be great to put some strings, and there was a guy in Minneapolis that they used named Lee Blasky, who was an incredible string guy. He arranged everything, and uh, yeah, that's 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 about it for um, Come Back to Me. I'm really limping home on this, and I apologize. Hey. I kind of feel like the album wimps home a little bit, so I think it, it, it's kind of a... I'm kind of just going with the theme. All right, here's the last track. Well, yes. the last musical track. Yes. Please. All right, so <laughs> some days tonight, uh, what I find interesting about these last three music, like the, the, the three tracks here, uh, uh, Lonely, Come Back to Me, and uh, and this one, which is uh, Some Days Tonight, is that like they're all like five minutes long or more. I know. Like, it's just like, it's just, honestly, that this is my one qualm with the album is how it just kind of, it's just such a tough slog to get through the last third of it. Um, this song in particular, six minutes long, not released as a single. According to Song Facts, this song is a sequel to the chased Let's Wait a While from Janet's previous album, Control. And honestly, Let's Wait a While is awesome. This is not. That's about it. Oh, sorry. Terry Lewis says this to say... New love is always great. I don't think you can have enough of those songs. And then he talks about how it's love is really great. That's about it. So that's the breakdown of the tracks. Hey, there's one more track. Come on now. Oh, yes. There's an interlude to finish it off. There you go. Uh, it's called Living in Complete Darkness. Sorry, Living. Ellipsis. In Complete Darkness. There you go. It's a, it's a minute and seven seconds. So that's that's the blow by blow, the breakdown of Rhythm Nation 1814. Uh, an album that hits hard. Uh, cools it down slightly, uh, hits hard again, and then really trudges home. 
Um, let's talk reviews, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Um, so in 1989, Rolling Stone, uh, Rolling Stones is Vince Aletti gave it four to five stars, writing the community Jackson, Jam, and Lewis imagine and encourage here is an activist extension of George Clinton's One Nation Under a Groove. The Rhythm Nation is a multiracial, multinational network looking for a better way of life on and off the dance floor. <laughs> Which I, uh, yeah, I'd say that pretty much captures it. Later on, Rolling Stone, in like a, some kind of guide to albums, I'll walk this back and give it three stars. So who knows what they're thinking. Um, the cantankerous Robert Criscow, who I always make sure to mention, of the Village Voice, gave the album an A-. minus saying, if the P-Funk pretensions of Nation are a little much from somebody whose knowledge of the world is based on the 6 o'clock news, the rhythm is real, and I give her credit for it. Her voice is as unequal to her vaguely admonitory politics as it was to her declaration of sexual availability, but the music is the message. Never before have Jam and Lewis rocked so hard for so long. So he gives it an A- minus and then kind of tears it apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all music, of course, has it rated 4.5 out of 5. Here's my favorite one. People Magazine in 1989 said this to say, Jackson's heart may be in the right place. She's against all the bad, hurtful stuff in a vague, vague Tinkerbell sort of way. But the quality of your music hasn't been raised with her social conscience. Fucking People Magazine. <laughs> like the bastion of, of music reviewing. Yes. Uh, finally, what everybody is waiting for. Uh, what? Who could it be? Everybody. I, I know you're waiting for it. Yes. Hitchfork. Yes. Has given this uh, in 2016 when they reviewed it 9.0. Wow. They so, loved uh, it. They loved it. And so there's, I mean, you can go find, there's other reviews out there. Um, but uh, those are some of the, some of the, some of the reviews that I was able to find that were a little more interesting. Um, let's talk, let's talk the uh, Rhythm Nation tour for yes. a second. Um the Rhythm Nation World Tour 1990 was Janet Jackson's first headlining concert tour. She'd never done a headlining concert tour before. Um, the uh, I had a clip, but I'm not going to play it because it's not a very good clip. Um, it's kind of boring now that I think about it. Um, the nine-month tour began on February 27, 1990 in Pensacola, Florida, in kind of a, like, a... The, Pensacola, Florida is where her and her crew had done their rehearsals. So they did, like, a $10 show. Okay for for the for the fans there and uh you know sold it out uh it it began and it began proper the next night in miami um it rolled through u.s and canada hitting toronto on march 20th 1990 at skydome yes roger they, center uh, get it right well it was skydome then yes uh only the uh only the second greatest thing to happen in 1990 at skydome that is correct and in the same month i believe uh yes, oh, maybe it was in the April same 1st. month. Was it April first? That I don't know. Uh, anyway, you know what? WrestleMania was April first. Within like so two weeks, so like imagine yeah, the warm exactly. up, the warm up to WrestleMania six. The warm up to to an awful WrestleMania, by the way. Um, this concert probably would have been miles better. Um, the tour, uh, they they after uh, they they rolled through years in Canada, and in May they headed to Japan for five nights. <clears throat> The tour returned to North America in June, continued through September. October was spent in Europe, and then it wrapped up with seven more dates in Japan. Um, <clears throat> this tour grossed $28 million in the U.S. alone. Jesus. That's a lot and of that's, money. That's $28 million in 1990. Yep. Um, it is the most successful debut tour of all time. So 
um, I guess some people may, I think some people out there dispute it, but it's indisputable. It was their first headlining tour, and so uh, it counts. Most successful. I, I, I pulled some quick facts about this tour from the Wickeye. You're going to like some of these. Okay. <clears throat> the estimated worldwide attendance was about 2 million people, with uh, more than 1.85 million in North America alone, coming from 91 shows. <clears throat> The first international concert, which took place in Tokyo, sold out the Tokyo Dome. Did it get five stars from Meltzer, though? Uh, maybe. Maybe. It was a Tokyo Dome, so it probably got seven. Yes. <laughs> um, it sold out the Tokyo Dome within seven minutes and set a record for the fastest sellout in the history of the Dome. So, uh, Janet, right up there with, uh, with, all, with all the great wrestling stars who have sold out the Tokyo Dome. Um, Jackson donated over $1.2 million to fund education projects from concert proceeds, donated $0.25 cents from each ticket to cities and schools, um, which works to prevent kids from dropping out of school. After the tour ended, she gave $500,000 to the United Negro College Fund in the form of a Rhythm Nation scholarship. So she put her money where her mouth was, uh, which uh, you don't see an awful lot in the music industry. Um, here's a, Listen, there's a, there's a real wrestling theme going on here. Jackson was scheduled to play Philadelphia in March. But somehow the people who managed the Spectrum double booked Jackson's show with a WWF card on the same night. <laughs> they should have played and together. So her sold out her sold out show was rescheduled to August. So Vince winning out. Vince is like, I'll never come again. He said, Janet Jackson, who's that? <laughs> what about Perry Como? <laughs> Here's my favorite tidbit about this tour. Jackson had to reverse the decision to use a live panther on the show after several incidents, including the panther urinating on the stage. I just like the idea. It's like uh, we have to be really socially conscious about issues in the world, but let's fucking imprison a panther and take it around for (laughs) entertainment purposes. Well, citing concerns from her fans and from her own love of animals, she eventually did not use the cat in the summer leg of her tour. But come on, I, I totally agree with you. Putting a, putting a cat all in a cage on stage, Ugh. loud music, sad. Um, and that's kind of the tour, and that's uh, Rhythm Nation 1814. I think we did a pretty good job breaking it down. Final thoughts from me. I mean, Janet's a fucking legend. And uh, I wanted to point out just uh, quickly about kind of the decline that her career took in 2003 when she took the bulk of the blame for that bullshit at the Super Bowl and that Dick Timberlake all got off scot-free. That's too bad. It's nice to see that she's kind of, you know, uh, had a bit of a resurgence. So good for her. This album is a monster. I give it a high recommendation. It's not the greatest album. Uh, I think that it it, it definitely um, it definitely drops off towards the end. But it's definitely a uh, a good one to give a listen to. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, huge huge recommendation. I think if you cut those last three tracks off of this this album, you're still watching the home run flying out of the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, the last three tracks take a little bit of the edge off, but I mean, you can't deny the first, what, 45 <laughs> minutes of this album is ridiculous. Yes. Like Fantastic. some of the most ridiculous, great kind of pop music mm. from yeah. that early nineties era. Uh, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, if you're going to say you could only take five things with you from that time, this has got to be on the list. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so thanks to everybody for listening. Next week, what are you cooking up for us? Uh, I'm hoping that I can get through 55 minutes on Dreamboat Annie by heart. We uh, are going to focus on another band that is uh, fronted by the ladies. And yes. uh, so we're going to look at an album from uh, the mid-70s and uh, some interesting stories with um, 
with Canada involved, which is where we're both from, which I enjoy, and uh, some uh, some controversy too. It's gonna be fun. Nice. It's gonna be fun. I'm and, gonna have to uh, when, when we're off here. I'm gonna have to go listen to it in preparation. Yes, do some research over the course of the week, and we will come back in a week's time and put it together all right. for all of you. Excellent. Uh, with that, I am one of your hosts. I am at megamix.com. Uh, I am your pal, Slip with Five Eyes or Slip, and go to albumsaredead.com for all your news on this show, and uh, we'll see you in a week. See you next week. Goo! Good night.